What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, and I got my co-host, not as per usual, Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting. How are you doing tonight, Elliot? The new new member to the podcast, the newest co-host. You're back. Back. How many podcasts has it been? Mm, two. I th- well, I only you only did two, right? You did two from I that. Don't even know. Yeah, you did two. You're right. You're Tell us we, both. You're yeah, you're on the you're on the motion ducks one. So uh, it's definitely been you know it's, it's definitely been a little bit of a gap here. So we're glad to have you back. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> out of the last six, me. I've been on one. Out of, I've been on one of the last six. Yeah. So that's okay. I've been enjoying those podcasts. Get to be a little fan and just listen to them. And so I've enjoyed them. I thought that they were. I think they're really interesting well, when you're from the road and the duck bus and kind of lets me experience the trip you're on a little bit and. I've enjoyed those. Yeah. Yeah. I've enjoyed making them too and, and kind of interviewing people I hunt with. And it's, it's been a, a fun little change on the podcast. And, you know, and now we're back to our usual format. So, um, yeah, excited for this one too. And it won't be long until we're doing podcasts on the road with the uh, Patreon Duck Hunt Podcast Hunt Giveaway winner, Michael Saylor. That'll be fun. I'll get to, oh, yeah. I'll get to do an on the road podcast from the bus. Yeah, that'll be it'll be fun. Yeah, I, it'll be a a good old time. Tickets are purchased. Michael's tickets purchased. My ticket is purchased. So it is on. The hunt giveaway weekend is officially one hundred percent go. Yep, we're gonna be in the great state of Michigan, and I'm excited to uh, give you the tour. Although how your last uh, hunt trip went, I don't know. I don't know. Didn't go very well. Didn't. Not very many birds were harvested on that whole deal. So, well, it's always it's not always about the numbers, Elliot. No, it isn't. But I'm hoping to shoot a couple birds. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's let's hope for hope for the best, and uh, you know. You're right. It hasn't been the best numbers, but it's been a good old time, a good adventure every time I've been out there. Um, but I would be lying if I said that I wasn't hoping to harvest a few more ducks. Well, and those both those weekends, or I guess that week, I guess both those last two were openers. And it sounds like from just my perception of what went on is that them being openers played a huge part in... Um, the lack of lack of success. And I do have a thought about your setup choices on um, the first. I can't remember. I'm getting them. I'm getting the weekends because you did two weekends. In a row. Okay. So your first weekend, I do have some thoughts about your setup sure. choices. Let's hear it. So you, you found basically you were kind of debating between two different places. One of them you kicked a bunch of mallards out of. And then one of them is more like a mixed bag of ducks. Yeah, one of them. One of them was the smaller hole, and it had like thirty mallards in it. And then a, one was like a bigger bay, and it had like a hundred and fifty, two hundred ducks in it of all kinds. Yeah. So, and I don't know if I would have thought this at the time when that situation, but I know looking back at your weekend and how everything with I my experience with openers is that if there's a lot of hunters, your big ducks are quicker to just like out. 
So when you're bumping up mallards like the day before an opener and there's a lot of boat traffic out there and you know there's going to be a lot of traffic in the morning, your chance of those mallards coming back goes way down compared to your teal and and your smaller smaller puddler ducks just mallards and pintails and they're just much less resistance to resist resistant to traffic so expecting those mallards to come back on an opener i think may have been a tough tough call yeah and i mean there were mallards around it just seemed like uh um on opener it seemed like they just weren't willing to work um and they were really weary like really quick yeah so you know the guns start but they're they weren't. They knew what was up, you know, right? Before, right. And they just were. They weren't willing to come down. The ones were flying pretty high, just getting out of there. There wasn't birds flying around trying to cup in. It was more of like a, a fight or flight, you know. Yeah. And they were in the flight. Yeah, they just can't handle that. They just won't tolerate that kind of. But I bet you, like a couple weeks later, if that wasn't the opener, you guys probably would have pounded them in there. Probably, yeah. That's kind of the same conclusion I came to for the, you know, if I if I was to do that again and scout it. And really, honestly, like that one's eating me up, you know, because I feel like uh, I kind of screwed up by my, by making that choice. And um, like my dad doesn't get very many opportunities to go on and stuff like this. And I'm like, man, it would have been awesome for him to to be in the that bay and uh, us to shoot a lot more birds. But you know, he did have a, a he did have a really good time. So um, maybe it's just me thinking about it more than than he cared. But you know, well. It, it kind of is what it is. On Hindsight is really, really easy to decide where you should go. But for me on openers, I'm, I'm typically going to try to take the low hanging fruit. So like, um, if, if I, if I know there's a ton of pressure, I'm probably in every, every situation is different, but I'm probably going to go more towards the, where the teal are. And it's just, there's so much more resistant to, Gosh, openers and crowds. I know you thrive on it. It's just, which I've got that situation coming up this weekend, but it just, uh, having to, cause every decision you make, and this is one thing that Joel Strickland, um, made comment of that I had never really thought about because he came out two years, three years for our early opener. And so he was with us the whole scout day and, uh, there was tons of birds around and we had big ducks located. We had teal located. And, and so we were t- discussing the whole decision-making process. And I mean, you know, he hunts mostly private down there in Arkansas. And so one thing that, that he commented on multiple times is how so much of our decision-making goes into where other people are going to be on the opener versus just like, okay, here's the birds, here's the X. And, and I know you were doing that too, on that trip. It's like every decision isn't just where the birds are. And that's one reason you decide that you decide not to go into that bay because you couldn't control yeah, the people. Honestly, yeah, we probably would have gone into that bay if it wasn't for the people. I was worried that we'd get set up on and the birds wouldn't work because we got set up on or someone would be upwind of us right. or, you know, or they'd just be so close. And it really ended up, we still had the same issue except for we were in this tiny hole where the only thing in it was mallard. So mm-hmm. none of those, uh, you know, less intelligent ducks were going to, we're going to, make it in there anyway. So I wonder uh, why, why do you think that is? Was there something different in the environment there as far as the food source? What, why do you think there was only mallards in that little hole? Is there something different? Um, I mean, there, I mean, I don't know. I really don't know if maybe the mallards are already trying to find in like the, the tucked up little areas, but, um, or maybe it was that, uh, the, the bays, 
they weren't in the cattails, so it was like a gradual slope to to the the edge of the water. So you were getting that shallower stuff. Where in that pool in the cattail, it was uh it was deeper water. It was more like uh, your your kind of more desirable water depth, you know, twelve to sixteen mm-hmm. inches, kind of for for a mallard. Whereas like on the the shore, at some point, you know, it's going to be shallower than that, which with your smaller ducks prefer a little bit shallower water. So. Um, that'd kind of be my guess. It's just a little bit set up better for the small decks. Yeah. Well, hindsight is really, really easy, but at the time you got mallards in a hole, you think it's better to control other hunters. I mean, certainly sounds like a sound choice to me. Yeah. Yeah. That was a really cool spot. Really cool weekend. Um, (laughs) the only thing that wasn't really cool is the amount of pressure in hunters, but you know, at the same time, it was kind of cool just to see it like as a, as the the whole experience, but you know, it would be nice to to get that on like a smaller scale, where you could find a similar setup, similar area, but uh, less pressure. Because I think I think that definitely kind of affects the way you're able to hunt. So, um, well, it's the opener, so <laughs> that's what you're. It's the get. opener. So yeah. sometime on this podcast, I don't want you want to do it, but I want to lay out for you. My because my scenario where I'm deciding to hunt is very very similar to yours as far as my decision making. So some or, well for I'm hunting Saturday by myself on the on the opener out here. So I'm solo hunting, okay. and I know the area. I know where the birds like to be. Um, I, I pretty much know the logistics of it, but I've got to make the decision of like off by myself with less hunters or like middle. You know go for yeah. it inside of all the other hunters. So that's the decision I'm kind of trying to sort through in my mind, overthinking all week. <laughs> okay. No, yeah, I think we should definitely hit this up on that, on this podcast for sure. So, um, but we should probably, let's get a quick word from our partners. We'll jump to the main meat of the podcast. And uh, Elliot just gave you a little bit of teaser. We're going to be talking about, our plans coming up, what we're doing this next weekend for hunts and openers. Um, we'll give you any updates we got. I know I got some stories from uh, my weekend up there, and um, I got you know one story, Elliot, in particular that's probably one of your favorites. You know, with uh, the the type of humor you're uh, you're into. So, <laughs> I can't wait. but uh, yeah, let's get a quick from our partners, and then we'll jump into the main meat of the podcast. So first off, I'd like to give a big thanks to Onyx. Guys, Onyx is a great app for waterfowl hunters. You can use it on your public land. I've been using that track feature like crazy. You just push track, put it in your pocket, and it kind of shows you all kinds of stuff. It's kind of cool to see on our on our hunts this weekend, um, going out there, public land, big walk-in areas, or, or even if you're paddling in, whatever. Um, but I was able to see like how long it took us to get the spot, the whole distance, all kinds of stuff. It helps you remember the path in and out. Um, not only that, but for kind of the more standard stuff for waterfowl hunters on the private land, you click on it. It gives you the tax owner information. You can go to their door, knock on it, and try to get that permission. So check them out, guys. Onyx. As one of our newest partners is Weatherby. And I've now been using the Weatherby 18i um, it only holds three inch shells for, I've been on seven hunts with it. I've got off 51 shots. And even in that small amount of time that I've been shooting it, I, I knew this was an upgrade from the entry level um, semi-auto that I was shooting, but I guess I just never expected it to be this much of an upgrade. It's like from the time I hold it in my hand 
to shooting it. Everything about it feels just like a, it's just an amazing shotgun. I just, I'm blown away about how much I love this gun. Um, my shooting percentage is through the roof. Uh, just everything about it, I'm just in love with. So if you're in the market for a shotgun, go look at Weatherby. You know, Jordan's got the 20, the gorgeous 20 gauge um, Woodstock. And I've got the Max 7 um, 12 gauge camo pattern. Just fantastic shotguns. Just wonderful. So make sure to be thinking about Weatherby in your shotgun selection. Awesome. Also, guys, make sure to check out Freelance Hunt Stats or Hunt Stats or whatever we want to call it. <laughs> it is the app that me and Elliot have been working to develop for journaling your hunts, keeping track of all types of data. Um, and it's it's just a great time to sign up. Openers coming up and you can journal your whole hunt. You can track your harvest, different species, um, the weather patterns, the locations you hunt, just any information you'd need as a duck hunter. You'll have it there. You'll have it there from years to come. I have five years in there now. Elliot has a lifetime in there of hunts um, and data. And it's just it's just really it's really cool to look back at the end of the year to know your exact numbers that you harvest, all that kind of stuff. And not only that, but we got a, a friendly battle going on in the leaderboards where you can see um, how you are comparing to other hunters. So check them out, guys. Uh, hunt stats. You can use it on the web. You can use it in the app whether it's Android or Apple, the logo is a orange icon with a duck right in the middle. So just search hunt stats and you'll find it. I do want to add on to that real quick. I had someone ask me this question today. So if you make a membership there and you're keeping your data and then you decide to deactivate your membership, your data is saved. So your data is always there. You can also download your data onto a spreadsheet. So once you start logging hunts, your data does not go away. Even if you stop your paying membership for a while, it's always there. Download it on a spreadsheet. It's completely secure and safe. Um, another partner is Motion Ducks Decoy Spreader System. Man, we have talked about this so many times. If you listen to this podcast, you have heard us just rave about this product. It is in every way superior to your traditional jerk rig. It carries in easier. It sets up easier. It breaks down easier. It's more natural looking motion. You can add them together from four to seven to as many ducks as you want. The guys at Motion Duck Decoy, that's all they use. Sometimes they, they hook up like two dozen together and they've got the entire two dozen moving at the same time. I mean, this is a revolutionary product. So um, code is all caps duck gun 2020 and you can get um, a little discount there, free anchor bag. So go check that out and add that into your arsenal. Awesome. Also, guys, make sure you check out Final Approach. Guys, I've been uh, using the Final Approach Waterfowl backpack this season, and it's the best blind bag I've ever used. So I'm loving it. It's great. It's got tons of storage in it. Um, And, again, I'm going to talk about these walkout hunts that I've been doing or these canoe hunts. Um, But, excuse me, Um, one cool feature on there it has that I I just kind of learned about is that you can attach your gun to it. So one less thing you have to carry. So it's got this little holster that drops out of the side. You put your gun in it and clip it to the side. Um, so, I mean, I had all types of gear and weight on it and it has the hiking straps so you can buckle it across your chest and around your, um, stomach and walk out. Everything cinched secure, tons of gear, your gun on it. And it's just awesome. But Beyond that, they are the one-stop shop for the waterfowl hunter, whether it's decoys or all types of gear. Um, you are good to go. So check it out, guys, over there at Rogers Sporting Goods or the Final Approach website. 
You know, I actually saw that backpack because I don't have it. I saw it on one of your videos and I've been thinking about it ever since I saw it. <laughs> I, I really, really want that backpack product bad. Oh, yeah. It's it's awesome. Yeah, I got to get a hold of it. All righty. Um, also, like to give a big thanks to Tetra, Tetra Hearing. Um, guys, it is the hearing protection for waterfowlers and Elliot and I both use it, um, especially for waterfowlers, you know, with the number of shots that go off uh, and the technology they have in it. It uh, allows you to hear your buddies, hear the ducks, hear your calling, all that kind of stuff. But when the gun goes boom, it cancels that sound out. So you don't have to worry about hearing loss. So check them out, guys. Tetra hearing um, and you won't. Regret Funny it. story about Tetra. Let me tell you the story about Tetra real quick. So I work in this room okay. with this loud blower and I've been having problems hearing what people are saying in this room. And several times I've actually thought about bringing my Tetra and putting them in and using them because it's like the same technology as your um, hearing aids are. So I've literally thought about bringing my Tetra to work and putting them in and seeing if it helps. The, I mean, it's that, it's that good of a product. Oh yeah. It probably would. I, I think it would too. This, this, this blower in my room goes off. Like it stops blowing like twice a day for five seconds. And it's like, it's driving me insane. So I, maybe I will sometime bring my Tetra to work and see if I, see how it does. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, let's go ahead and jump to the podcast. So, um, let's do some updates first, <clears throat> man. I got a cough going here a little bit. I'm uh, getting over a cold Elliot. So it's that time of year, yep. but, um, let's go with updates first. You got any updates, Elliot? Well, this is officially the slowest start I've had to a waterfowl season since 2018. Um, no, 26, 2016 actually. Um, it's just a slow start. I'm, I'm doing okay on the hunts that I've been on, but I had this whole plan in mind of where I was going to hunt and how I was going to travel less. And it all just kind of fell apart. So, um, I've at this point, I've got, I think 15 teal harvested throughout teal season, which is just, just such a record low for me, but I did have a really, really <laughs> nice weekend. Um, the last time I went out, I went on a camping trip with my dad and my stepson, Elijah, which he hasn't been showing a lot of interest. He's my, he's just turned 18. He hasn't shown a lot of interest in hunting, but now he seems like he's wanting to get back into it. In fact, he's going to go with us on, on our next trip next weekend as well. But we, here's a question yeah. real quick. Is this video out yet? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I haven't watched it. I have to go back. To yeah. See it. So we're showing up Thursday night. And this cold front hit hits Wednesday and my buddy Aiden, we call the golden boy. He goes out Wednesday afternoon, like shoots a limit of teal in like 20 minutes. He goes out Thursday morning, shoots another limit in like 25 minutes. I mean, the birds are just, it went from like not very many birds there to birds everywhere. So we're showing up like exactly the right time, right? We're there. We're going to Friday morning. Well, not exactly. We're like two days behind the cold front, but with teal, you know, this area hadn't been overly pressured, so we missed the best first two days, but we still know there's teal everywhere. I mean, expectations through the roof. We're going to hunt Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I'm like, okay, this year started slow, but we're going to just ride through these limits. It's just going to be awesome. It's going to be easy. This is the first real cool front of the fall. So we've gone from like 
blistering heat to actually feeling like fall. I can't even begin to tell you how excited I was. And so, uh, but I hadn't scouted this pool this year. So I was kind of going from some Onyx pins from Aiden and everything. So we get out there in the morning. We're the first ones there. And this pool is loaded, 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 loaded with um, millet and smartweed. And I set up on this pin that Aiden had sent me. And I'm thinking it's pretty good. But as the day rolls out, it's like we were in the big boat. And I've never, this was so, I've never seen teal like this before. But they were really weary of the big boat for some reason. And mm. it was kind of pushed back in the cattails. And it's like they were just just skirting us like, like crazy. I shot three right off the bat real quick. Um, and then I put the gun down because I wanted my dad to shoot. I wanted to film with the camera a little bit. And so we hunted actually until like 11 o'clock and we ended with seven, seven teal. But it's just like everything that we did. You ever have a day at duck hunting where it's like everything that you do is like just not quite right. And it's like, yeah, the birds were just skirting the decoys or they were, they, uh, they appeared to be seeing the boat and cutting in. And it was just like over and over and over and over. And Aiden and his dad, 150 yards behind us shot their limit in like 45 minutes. We heard the other guys 200 yards over. He shot his limit left. And we're like, what's it's like, we're not, this isn't happening for us. We're not getting it done. So, we finally decided we saw where the flight line was and we're like, okay, let's just go ahead, make a change, make a, make a shift. And so we made a change, set up the boat and immediately it was like the same thing in a different situation. But I don't think they were seeing the boat this time. They were just, we were just off the flight line they wanted to be. They weren't responsive to calls. They weren't responsive to spinners, which I mean, you know, Teal loves spinners, but they just weren't coming in and so we're at the second place for like i was it was getting neurotic we were there like 45 minutes maybe less and i'm like i think we need to make another move they're they're all going to these back pools i can see them doing it group after group after group it's like i don't want to be neurotic we've only been here 40 30 45 minutes but let's just make this move got out of the boat within 30 seconds of being in, in the decoys two blue wings tried to come right into the decoys (laughs) <laughs> and so I'm really starting to get frustrated here. Um, I wanted my stepson to have a great hunt. He was struggling with his shooting, um, which was one thing to it. It's like I would have if, if I would have had my limit easy, but my stepson was there. He hadn't hunted in a couple years, so at that point, the hunt's more like about him than it is anything else. Yep. So um, he was he was struggling on his shooting. I will add in your shoes too when you've had a slow start. It's harder to <laughs> have those hunts be about them because you want those birds for right. yourself. You know yes. what I mean? I do. Because I'm trying to make videos. I'm trying to get out content. And, and um, mm-hmm. I mean, I would have had my limit within the first half hour easy. Um, he's struggling. And now I'm worried about his mental state. Because we all know as, like, gunners, it's like if you get in a in a bad mental state of mind with shooting, it can go south really fast as far as your shooting in general. Um, but we get to make the second move. I got two blue wings trying to come into me. We make, we make the second move and the birds just kind of stop working. And so now I'm, I'm just feeling really frustrated. It's about 1130. I'm just like, okay, let's just take a break, get out of here, go scout, go have lunch, come out for the evening. 
And um, so we come out for the evening, but it's just my stepson and myself. And we each had, at that point, he did have three. He water swatted one, winged one that Georgie found, and then he clean killed another one. So we, he and I had three each going into the evening. And um, we got out there and it was actually got up. It was pretty hot. It was, it was a lot hotter than what the weather said it was going to be. And so, but nothing was moving for a long time. We're feeling discouraged, but then right at the end of the day, man, all of a sudden, like the last 45 minutes, the blue wings just started dumping in perfectly. And Elijah was able to make a couple good shots at the end. And so we did actually end up with our limit, but it it took us the whole day. And as far as like, you know, some limits are really satisfying and some you're just like, that Uh, wasn't a very fun limit. It was a very frustrating, difficult day. Although we did end up with our limit. Um, So that was great, but it was, it was just a frustrating day. Then this next day (laughs) ended up, we only shot two and there was just the birds just weren't where we thought they were going to be again. And they, and so can I, can I ask you a question real quick? I wondered, I hadn't, I I guess there wasn't a good time to stop you fast. um, When the, when you're in the 45 minutes, the last 45 minutes, I was just curious, like where was the was the sun behind you, mm-hmm. or yeah, I was just curious if that's part of why they're decoying. I know, I don't you said think that, so. You thought they were weary to the boat, but like if the sun's right behind you, they can't see the boat right. Well, well, that evening we went to a different spot where we took the boat and we walked in. We we're just sitting off this point, and um, we were in a place where a friend of mine and his had shot their limit between ten and twelve. I mean, they took them two hours between 10 and 12 to get it done. So we walked in, we were sitting okay. on this point and there just wasn't much movement. Um, we were sitting in the campsite and we were in the campsites, like right in between two pools. You can actually kind of gauge the movement from um, the campsite. And there was quite a bit of movement going on and we got out there and set up and the movement just kind of died. And so once the movement picked up, then they all of a sudden, well, that's not totally true. The movement picked up a little bit. We started pass shooting. Um, which I kind of wish we hadn't because our shooting kind of wasn't so great at that time. And then right at that end of the day, for some reason, instead of kind of flying by us, they were just like, boom, 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 right in the decoys. And, and uh, nice. he felt <clears throat> Elijah still struggled. It was struggling on shooting. He, he was missing some cupcake shots, but he did well enough that he didn't feel horrible about himself. And, and he did end up with his limit. Um, but nice. we actually ended up going home early. We we're supposed to hunt Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Saturday was no good in the morning and the temperature wasn't supposed to do this, but the temperature all of a sudden was predicting up to like 88. So we tried for a little bit in yeah. the morning. We got back to our campsite and for some reason there was like 5,000 mosquitoes in our tent and it was getting hot. <laughs> and so I'm like, what are we going to do? We, there was no trees to lay under. There was nowhere to go. You go inside the tent and we were just getting destroyed by mosquitoes. The morning hunt was bad. And so that point we're just like, well, let's just, let's just leave and go home. And I don't, I rarely do that, but it's just like, it had already been a rough weekend. It was, it was miserable. And I came home with just tons of mosquitoes on me that, that Friday night after the limit day, I was in the tent and I knew there was a ton of mosquitoes in there already. <clears throat> Cause somehow like the dew from the moisture, the moisture from the dew had gotten in there. And like, if you picked up anything, like you had a bag sitting there, somehow like moisture had gotten trapped in the bag. So you'd pick up a bag and like a hundred, 200 mosquitoes would come out and just like swarm around inside the tent. It was miserable. I had my leg outside my sleeping bag 
And within like 30 <laughs> seconds, normally if you get uh, bit by a mosquito, it takes a little while for it to itch. I had my leg out. It might have been like two minutes. And it was already like swelling up with like itchy bites. Mm. And so it was a yeah. miserable situation. It was super hot. The hunt didn't go very good on Saturday. And so we just decided our best option was to just go home. Add insult to injury. Golden Boy went out like um, either that evening or the next day evening. And that same spot Elijah and I was in, he shot his limit in like 20 minutes. So, <laughs> yeah. so it was kind of a, I mean, we shot our limit on Friday. It was nice being out there. But a lot of times we go out to this place and I'll get like three videos, three great videos in a row, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and come back with so much content and so many great stories. And, and, and that, that weekend just certainly did not live up to what I was even for a limit. It was not a satisfying limit at all, but it wasn't not fun. It just wasn't what I was hoping it would be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool though. Still, still fun getting out there and all and that. And I'm so glad that I'll my stepson is starting to hunt again. That's really cool. Yeah, that is. I was going to ask you like, cause you're saying his kind of level of interest has, has come up. So like when, is he like asking you to go or are you like suggesting it or, well, you know, he's like a really, he can be a, a shy kid. And so with my, with my kids, I never want to put pressure on them to go. So I always kind of present it to them. Hey, <clears throat> um, you can go, um, anytime you want, you can go, but he's the kind of kid that just needs to make sure you really want him to go. And so he had kind of not gone for a while. So I'd stopped asking and he'd kind of let, um, my wife know that he kind of wanted to go, but he didn't really want to say anything. Mm-hmm. So he was just kind of, he was just kind of being shy about it. And I had told him multiple times, Elijah, anytime you want to go, you can go, you've got the green light anytime. I'm not going to pressure you, but I, I think he actually needed a little bit of the, he just wanted to make sure that I wanted him to be there, which is a, obviously was a sure. fault on my part. Apparently I thought I'd made it clear, but apparently I hadn't, if he's feeling that way, I hadn't made it clear enough. So, um, that's yeah, cool. and we're going back. He and me and my dad are going back um, the, in a couple weeks, and so he's going again. So I'm real excited about it. And he was really making some mature comments, like he's like, you know, I'm figuring out about shooting. It's about mindset and getting yourself in the right frame of mind. And I didn't even have these conversations with him. So instead of like being bummed about his shooting, he was really processing it, um, which was I thought really cool. Yeah, awesome. All right. Well, I guess let's jump to uh, to my hunts. But one, yeah, you know, one thing I want to say too um, before we jump to it because um, we haven't actually talked about it on the podcast. But um, one thing about my previous weekend that was pretty cool was having uh, having my dad come on the podcast. Mm-hmm. So yeah, <laughs> first time for him in you know x amount of years we've been doing that. So I think it was long overdue, and uh, hopefully I can get him to come on. Yeah, again. he he did great. He did great. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a new. I don't think uh, I don't think your spots in jeopardy just yet. So (laughs) always in question. It's like you never know. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, let's go ahead and talk about um, this last weekend. So um, again, going up to UP Michigan and I did something that I, I can't. I don't know if I've really done this before for duck hunting, but I truck camped instead of taking the bus. And I will tell you that it was way less comfortable, way less convenient than having a, (laughs) a bus at all your pit stops. It just, 
just didn't uh it didn't meet the same standard that the bus. Do you think burns, it was so. just uncomfortable because you're so used to the bus? I've actually thought about doing this recently, sleeping in the back of my truck, and I haven't pulled the trigger on it. Do you think it was just because you're so used to the bus, or is it just a no-go? No, because everybody's used to a bed, you know what I mean? Like, Right. So, I mean, it would have been more comfortable more comfortable to find, like, a, a tree and put up a hammock or, like, a tent or whatever. Right. Like, the, the backseat of a truck... It's like so narrow that I would wake up periodically through the night in fear of falling off. Like <laughs> that thin. It was yeah, it was it's pretty uh thin. And then like it's not long enough too, so I had to like put my legs up on the window or try to put them up on the seat in front of me. Oh, that's miserable. Yeah, so it's like if you're like five seven, you know, it's probably would be probably pretty good. Five seven and maybe like average to smaller in size as far as like your uh your uh your weight or thickness or whatever you want to put it as your uh, metric for a measurement there <laughs> so yeah it just just wasn't quite just wasn't quite right and then the other stuff too is like anytime you want to do anything like i'd have to get out of the truck and like go to the front seat and put batteries charging in the front seat and i had like all my food in the front and so it's just like you have to get out of the truck instead of like being in the bus right so but you so, didn't take the yeah, bus because of gas prices yeah i figured i figured gas price as well you know just it, it was like it was it cost 450 dollars in diesel the first weekend up to up traveling which and is that was lot, the one you with know? your dad and yeah so with the bus or with the truck it was less than half that wow yeah that's significant so yeah, I'm like I can save half the money to to uh, be uh less than half the comfort, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, it's still a tough choice going forward. <laughs> that sucks. Whether to I mean diesel's just so high, man. It's like $5.20. Uh, so, but now you traveled 6 hours away on both of these, right? Roughly. So, yeah. what opener do you have coming up this next weekend? Is it another opener? Uh, I have. Well, you're jumping a little oh, ahead sorry. of the outline. Okay, sorry. But <laughs> that's all right. I'm going to um, I'm going to Iowa Central opener this weekend. Mm, okay. That's change. I've never yeah. done that one. So. All right. Go ahead. But. Yeah. So anyways, let's talk about this weekend, this last weekend um, up in UP. And man, it's just it's just beautiful up there. But the bird numbers were not really there so that's just unfortunate i mean this time of year maybe it's not a big surprise but one thing that i am surprised about is just the lack of wood ducks um i feel like there should be way more wood ducks um but i don't know if it's like the cold weather kind of pushing them out or hunter pressure or bad bird numbers just in general or what but i mean just no wood ducks at all so, and that's kind of like, I feel like a big staple of early season hunts in our area. So, I don't know. I guess my sample size and experience is kind of low up in UP right now um, to know. But for second week, I do feel like there should be more wood. Have around. you been to this area before? Or is this, is it the same area you took your dad to, right? Um, No. I mean, roughly, right? Everything. It's not that far away. Same general area, but not the same place. 
Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, yeah. So you had hunted this area uh, uh, previously. This this one. No. Oh, okay. I've never this hunted. Is, uh, all this stuff oh, was new. Okay. I did a ton of scouting. So even though there wasn't birds around, I was still doing scouting, trying to figure it out. I've been saying it for a little bit. I just really want to figure out UP Michigan, figure out what's good, how to do like uh, uh, perform better, hunt better up there. Um, just because I've I kind of. Um, haven't done as good there as some other places. I really think and you need I to get up to these places off season. I think your learning curve is just going to, if you just do all your scouting on these weekends, your learning curve is going to be so, so much slower than getting up there several times the off season and just ex- doing nothing but exploring. Yeah. I mean, that's what I pretty much ended up doing this weekend was doing that. Cause the bird numbers weren't there on Saturday. We, uh, I got skunked in the morning. And uh, then I met up with uh, Zach Conrad, which he's uh, he's in the fellowship. I've hunted with him a few years ago, um, all that kind of stuff. And um, I drug him around the state, just scouting everywhere. And he was, he was a sport about it. But like we took in one part of the day, I wanted to check out this hole. It was like way back, um, like w- way off the grid kind of thing, like no cell phone service. The roads aren't real roads. They're like old logging roads to the point like one time we went through this and his, he was following me in his truck and his truck barely fit through the road. I had to get out and like guide him through it. So I was like, I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm getting you into this. I had no idea. I'm just following on X. His on X won't load, but I had the offline map downloaded. So um, we drove, it was 20 miles on logging roads and it took us over two hours to drive it (laughs) wow it was it was terrible roads like uh, you you just weren't supposed to be back there i don't even know if you're supposed to be back there but uh we did we made it all around and we found that hole that i was looking for and we hiked in there off the road and (laughs) we get there and the whole thing is like dried up oh it's a beaver pan (laughs) beaver pond it was dried up. Oh, brutal. So, Did you apologize to him at that moment? <laughs> no, we kind of just laughed about it. And, yeah. Oh. We did find birds on one hole in there. One hole. It had like four mallards. And we're like, wow, man, four mallards. <laughs> we didn't hunt it, though. Oh, so. that sucks. <clears throat> I've got no frame of reference for Excuse logging me. roads. I've, they're just not in my... They're kind of like bogs oh. to me. I mean, I know I've seen some of your pictures, but it's like... None of the places I've lived in Kansas, we don't have logging roads. <laughs> yeah, you don't have logging roads. That's true. I did take a video, so I should send it to you. But um, yeah, so then fast forward, we did shoot one goose that, that night. Um, uh, we, we sat up on some teal. Um, and then really where the, the cool part of the hunt was, even though we weren't she- seeing a lot of birds, was there's another hole I really wanted to walk into, but it was over a mile walk. And so we ended up walking into a blind on just mm-hmm. a whim. And it was just a beautiful location. I shot one mallard. And for me, for me, all that work, it was, let's be real. Like we all want to shoot more than one bird, but it, in some weird way, it was satisfying. I don't know why. One bird is a million times better than zero birds. It is. It really is. So, but yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the weekend. Um, a lot of walking, a lot of scouting on that walkout. I did on X trackers. I was saying that at the beginning of the podcast, we we're like just shy of four miles. Cause we walked around to different mm-hmm. ponds back in there. Do you think those places have potential? 
<clears throat> oh, 100%. There's just no birds. When there's the migration coming through, I think that some of those spots would be awesome. It's just weird. I don't know why there would be no birds. I mean, do do birds nest in that area? It's Um yeah, but it's just uh it's just not Kansas. It's though. just like that's so far <laughs> north and those holes that I see you in look so good. Just the no birds thing just seems so odd. That happens that happens where I'm at too though. It's just um after you shoot up, all the local birds leave. You have to have migration for there to be birds around. Yeah. But if you're talking an opener. It wasn't. Oh, it was the second, second weekend. weekend. There's a, there's two weeks. But even the first weekend, you um, were so, saying there's just not enough birds. Or was there, there enough birds that were just shot out because of the people? Yeah, they were shot out. Second weekend, in we my experience, is always the worst where I'm at. It's like your second weekend is... For us, it's like the third weekend usually. This is always terrible. And that's one thing that I struggle with with the um, youth and veteran weekend is that, um, and I don't know if I want to go down this rabbit trail, but that's a new thing all over the place. And, you know, those, it's not really vet, it's active duty. It's not vet. I don't know, they shouldn't call it vet, but they kind of, you know, if, if, if there's a. Ours is veteran. But it includes active duty. And here, does it not include active duty there? They call it veteran. Oh yeah, it does. But it includes active duty, which is a sleight of hand. If you want to make it a veteran weekend, make seen a veteran some, weekend. Some that's even uh, some of it's uh, um, even first responders too. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that I mean, if there's a bunch of them, then the opener for everyone else sucks unless you have a cold front. And so, like our states cut into four places, those active duty guys can jump from zone to zone to zone. And then if there's no cold fronts in between, it's just the opener is no good. And I don't know. I don't know what the, yeah. I, I, I am all for a vet weekend. I don't know. I just, if you're going to call it vet, it'd be nice if it were vet and not also active duty military as well. I mean, I don't have a problem with it. It's, this is such, such a hard topic to talk about because I'm so pro veteran, so pro active duty military, the guys that are sacrificing for, you know, being in, in armed forces and all that. It's, it's like, um, but I do think that you're right. It does affect some of that stuff. So it's like, um, but it's like, what can we give them? You know, uh, I know in, uh, in California, they get the right. last weekend, which yeah. would be awesome, you know, because you get all those plumed mm-hmm. out birds and um, they have some really fire hunts. Everybody said, oh, it ends so soon, you know, or it ends too soon. And then all of a sudden these birds show up. But I think part of the problem, and I was actually talking to Zach about this, um, and he's like, well, up north, everything's frozen and that's true. Mm-hmm. So maybe it wouldn't affect you guys in Kansas as much. Well, I guess you guys freeze up too, by the time your season ends. So I don't know. I don't know what, uh, what solution it is to be honest, but well, yeah. I, and I don't want to offend people either because I, I greatly respect people that serve and have served. I've been out on this weekend, just filming with guys that are, that are active duty that I really like. It's just, it, it traditionally has been the youth weekend. And so now what they're doing is youth only youth only marshes are condensed down to one little section. So the youth have to stay out. They don't have to stay, but if they want a place by themselves, they're on one little section and then the military guys get all the rest. I, I just, if it's, if after 10 years you're like, well, the openers used to be really good hunting, but now they're not, then it's a problem. If, if the openers are still good for the mass population, then it's no issue. But if I know for the first two years, this is, I think this is year three of it. So I don't know how this year is going to be, but I know for the first two years, it greatly affected 
um, the number of birds around on the openers for everyone else. And so that is worth consideration, you know, as how can you honor those guys, yeah. but not, you know, cause what, like 95% of duck hunters are probably have nothing to do with the military. I mean, you can't have the openers just go to, I mean, a lot of guys only hunt the openers and that's all they hope. Uh, some guys that's basically, uh, that's what they look forward to. And so if those openers all of a sudden are duckless yeah. or, you know, you're shooting 75% less ducks, I don't know. I'm just throwing numbers out. Then that's something that sure. needs to be discussed. Yep. Yep. Like you said, something that might need to be discussed. You know, we got, we got a couple of years under our belt and maybe the sample size is too small to tell yet. And let's just hope for the best. But it worries forward, me that but, it's even yeah. like, I'm worried about even the things that I'm saying because it's like so taboo to have the impression of like, Oh, you know, anti-military, which I'm absolutely not. So it's almost like you're afraid to even, I'm afraid to even say the things I just said, how it's going to be, how it's going to be sure. taken. Which is a problem, yeah, in its of itself. Yeah, definitely can agree with all that. But um, yeah, I think that kind of wraps up kind of my updates on it. Oh, I did send you those videos. You see those? No, I didn't look yet. I'm, I want you to. I want, I want you to see so you can see the logging road, and I showed you the the beaver pond. And you guys are really getting some color changes already. We're just starting to get tree color changes. Yeah, we're just starting to get that too. Yeah, uh, man. Just so people know what he's looking at. Um, I sent him a, a video of the logging roads and the color changes. It's just really cool country back there. Yeah, that's know? one thing I'm so excited about. And I know we've talked about not necessarily going and hunting those type of marshes. But every time I see your videos with the trees and everything, that's so foreign to anything I've hunted that I get excited about just being in those areas, um, yeah. which I know we have some other options, hope- but I'm just hoping we end up shooting ducks in these type of beautiful northern forests. Yeah, it would be really cool if that ends up being the case when you're here. Because we've got forests. So. I'm right on the line of the eastern deciduous forest, and but I can tell you now that our forests are way different looking than what I'm seeing here, even though they're both deciduous yeah. forests, totally different. I, I'm not, I don't, I, I'm not good at telling which type of trees or what, but it's a total different look to it. Yeah. Even where I'm at locally compared to like going up North, you know, you get maybe two or three hours North and it's just like a total different mm-hmm. feel. And I love, I love that Northern kind of forest yeah. look and like, and it's almost more open, you know what I mean? Compared to, what we get around here is just so thick and you get like some pine tree forest and some really cool stuff like that. Yeah. And a lot of our woods are just dirty. I I call them just dirty woods where it's like the underbrush is so like you look at it and some, you're like, I would never walk through there. It's just like full of weeds and vines and it's does not look accommodating to walking around in at all there. And I think, I think maybe the difference may be old growth and young growth. Like our forest here are really young like most of the trees are less than 100 years old um, a lot of them are 35 40 50 years old and so you get just a you don't have a good canopy on top so that's when you get that gross undergrowth on the bottom and and they're just just gross forests and up there i think that i'm guessing it's a lot more mature trees yeah I'm not an expert, so I couldn't tell you, but it sounds like a sound uh, well because where i'm living used to be like 150 years ago would have been no trees 
I mean, I'm living on in a part of Kansas that is forest now, but was not. This eastern forest keeps wanting to creep west, but the the fires, the prairie fires, is what always took care of them. And then settlers come in and learn how to fight fires, and and so it's crawling that way. So it's very young. Like I'm literally like. Mm. 30, 45 minute drive away from the plains. So I'm like right on the edge of that Eastern deciduous forest, like right at its beginning point. Nice. All right. Well, let's, let's give kind of our, uh, you know, our plans coming up this next season or this next season, uh, this next weekend, <laughs> this next openers. Um, I'll, let's go ahead with you. I know you said you got a, you're, you got some different choices, and, and uh, you got to figure out what you're going to do. Right. So um, I wasn't going to hunt this weekend, but we've got this really nice cold front coming in. And the next week, I'm going back out there with Elijah and my dad, and I'm a little bit worried about how we're hitting it with the weather. And this is the actual opener. Cold front's coming like on Thursday night, Friday. And I'm like, I want to be in that marsh on Saturday. And so even though I've got to get back for an event by like 4 on Saturday, and it's like a three and a half hour drive. I'm racing out there Friday night, sleeping on Aiden's couch. He's actually not going to be there. And then I'm hitting it. I'm just going to do a solo layout blind hunt, which I'm really excited about because I just love layout, but layout blind hunt. So this is the exact same area that I was to the hunt I was talking about. And this pool is loaded with vegetation. And I know exactly where all the veg, all of the millet and the smart weed is. And I know where the birds are going to be probably wanting to be. And that's where all the hunters are going to want to be too. Uh, but I also know, you know, we're only talking you know, six, seven, 800 yards away. There's a little area where it's off the beaten path. There's a beautiful little hole I scouted out last time we were there, but it's not in the millet. It's not in the smart weed, but I'm pretty sure I can roll in there, get this little spot, lay in my layout boat, not be surrounded by other guys. But it's like, if I make that choice and don't shoot any birds, I'm not going to be happy. So it's like one part of me is like with my layout blind, I think I can probably get right in the middle of this pool with millet around me and hide where boat because most of these most of this is going to be hunted by boat blinds. I think I can probably get right in the middle and be, I will be surrounded by boats. But I thought one side of it was like, oh, that would well, be a really cool video. Like videoing where all these people are and just like make kind of the focus of the video, like opening day traffic and just kind of highlight that. But then my heart wants to be me as a hunter all through my hunting career. I go on openings like this. I try to find little spots off the beaten track and be like, Hey, if I shoot two or three birds, that's fine. I would rather shoot two or three birds and feel like I'm off by myself a little bit than be in the middle of the war zone. So the me being true to who I am and myself, I want to be off on that little hole, but then there's a side of me. You don't, I don't want to shoot any birds. I've had a slow start. If I can shoot even, you know, if I get two or three really good passes and get some good footage and I'm off by myself, I'll be totally happy. If I go in there and get skunked, I'm not going to be happy, you know? So it's like, yeah, but that's where my heart wants to be. And have you ever had that where it's like one side of you is like, I should go here, but your heart is kind of pulling you in one direction. <laughs> yeah. I've had a couple. I've been, uh, 
I've had hunts where I'm like, I really want to go do this hunt or this thing. I don't know how it's going to turn out. Or I could go do this, which is going to be like, like a banger. Maybe it's like a, a big group or something. But like, also I'm like, man, it would be really nice just to have like a, a nice, um, like you say, more, uh, uh, what's the right? Well, uh, why well, say exclusive? That's not the word I'm looking for, but like out there off the grid kind of mm-hmm. hunt. Um, but you know, also you want to get the, you know, the, the hunt with a bunch of birds. So yeah, right. that's kind of, I think ultimately, because the, I can take this narrative one or two ways. One is like, this is how I approach the opener and I would rather be by myself shooting decoying birds, shoot two or three, than being out in the mass of people. And, and I made this decision a couple of years ago and I won't go through the details of it, but I had a situation where my heart was one place and I went to the other place and where my heart was, was the right place to be. And I remember telling Aiden, cause Aiden and I went through this decision together. I was like, from now on, I am going to go to where my heart is on these hunts. I'm going to do it because if it's where deep down I want to be, then I'm going to go do it. So I'm going to go hunt that little hole. I'm going to go hunt that little hole. And, uh, See, the thing is, I can only hunt till 10 because I got to get out of there. If I could hunt till one or two, <laughs> I would feel so much better because there's going to be so many birds there. I know there's going to be with this cold front coming. So I could hunt till 830 or something or nine. And then when other people have shot their limit, then I could slip down and, you know, hunt till 12 or one. But the thing that's making my decision a little more, it's like I only have till 10. So it's like I have to get the decision right enough that it was a good call. But in the end, that's just who I that's just who I am. In the end, I'm the guy that sneaks off, sneaks off, and hunts that little hole on the side, and doesn't, and would rather just be at peace in my soul with a few birds. So I just have to, I just have to do it. I, I think you should go out your out outside your comfort <laughs> zone on this one. I know you should go to the war zone. You just got a few hours, and like you said, you show all the the boats where they're set up, and then maybe get in a couple fights. <laughs> You know, nothing too major. Don't lose any teeth or anything. <laughs> and then, I mean, it, it'd go viral. <sighs> the thing is, there are places out there that are pure like- millet that big boats can't hunt because it's too. Um, now, I'd, I'd probably, I would still be several hundred yards from people too. I mean, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm yeah, not talking not being on top of people. I know I can. You only have to tolerate it for like three hours. Well, I, man. I know, but the, the problem is, is, is just I cannot stand it, flashlights in the dark walking coming towards me. It just rattle. It just close your eyes, lay it, in your boat, put like three or four stakes all around you, and have like actually put them like on the motion ducks rig, so you pull them so they twist and turn <laughs> the lights all all over the place I've, i have to be i'll tell you i've got to be true to myself and and my heart is in that little hole off by myself now it's opening day so my experience of opening day is those little holes where you think you're off by yourself is not how it works on opening day so yeah that's what's gonna happen you're gonna be surrounded yeah. by people and not <laughs> yeah <die>. that's what's <laughs> gonna happen right that's what happened to me on opener i'm yeah. telling you right now people are gonna be closer than you think to that hole and you really should have just gone. You're going to get in there super early and you really should have just gone to the other place because either place you're going to be surrounded by people and they're going to screw right. you. That's exactly what yeah. happened to me. On I, I, I wouldn't doubt. Although I have hunted this little section on openers before and for whatever pe- reason, people just seem to overlook it. One, one reason is last time I was there, it's like 
um, it just gets too shallow where you can't, it's too far to walk into, but you can't get a boat in there. It's like one of those situations. So it's a sweet little, yeah. it's a sweet little place. It's really pretty. And I'm trying to ignore you. <laughs> and Georgie sliced up her foot. Well, so I don't know if she's going to be able to make it or not. And she, it's, Oh yeah. Uh, I saw that. She, you take her to I the did. vet. You know what? I did not realize this about, about dogs. The vet explained this to my wife. My wife took her cause I was at work. Is that, you know, when a dog's paw, have you ever seen a dog hurt its paw and its paw just like balloons up like five times the regular size? Well, not this not happens. Really so, honest. and the reason this happens is if a dog steps on something, whether it's a thorn or, or or whatever and it gets lodged inside of the foot the foot balloons up until the area that has the object in it actually splits open and then it, it will work itself out so on her toe on her foot she came home we went out last saturday scouting and had a great time and she must have stepped on something and got it lodged up in between one of her toes because the next day mm-hmm. Or that night she was limping a little bit. She wake up on Sunday and her foot is just like ballooned way up. But in between her toes, you could see it raised, but there was no slice in there. And then all of a sudden we went to church. We went out to eat. We came back and she has this huge slice gash in between one of her toes that wasn't there. And the vet was saying that area balloons way up and swells and that it actually splits because of the swelling. And then that object, whatever object is in there is able to, I don't know if the dog licks it out or comes out or whatever, but I should, I should send you another picture. This, this is a massive, deep slice, but the vet said, even if she's 75% by the weekend, she can hunt, but I'm serious. If you, I will take a picture of this. If you see this, this slice, it's like, it's massive. It's massive, but she's hardly limping Mm. at this point. So the slice, though, they're not worried about, like, like muck and crap. Well, they gave us it. this spray bottle of stuff, and you open up the slice, and you just squirt it in like crazy, and you just flush it out a bunch. And so, I don't know. The place we're going, it's not going to be I, – I just – I can't imagine – honestly, I can't imagine taking her the way it looks. It was actually seeping blood tonight. It's going to have to look way – I can't even believe they didn't stitch it up. But the guy that – the vet's actually a hunter. Mm. But as soon as we get off this, I'll send you a picture of this thing. It's crazy. It's a huge gash. But by Monday, so Sunday, she couldn't even walk on it by like she wouldn't even get up off her bed. It hurt her so bad. By Monday, I get home from work and the swelling's gone and she's walking with barely a limp. And then like today's Wednesday and she's not hardly limping at all. But the gash is still really obviously big. So I don't know. I want to take her. I want to take her. But when you see this picture, it's like stunning. It's like, wow. (laughs) Yeah. You always want to take your dog. I don't want to go by myself. I know. The only injury I've ever had with Chief was, uh, what do they call it when they're tail? tail. Yeah, cold tail tail or limp tail. Yep. Yeah, that's the only thing I ever got frozen. We just had a frozen tail. But uh, we just haven't had cold years. For that to happen here recently. Yeah, Izzy so. used to get that all. The, that is such a painful thing for a dog. Did Chief get that point where he could hardly sit down? Um, I'm honestly, I'm not. I can't remember. It's been three, four years. I know it affected him though. Izzy had it so bad when she'd get that it, it that she would him. just circle around the house for hours because every time she tried to sit down, it was so painful. Mm. She had it a lot. 
Yeah, it's mm-hmm. no fun. It's a bad one. They don't even really know what causes it, I don't think. I think, well, what I've read is like the extra weight. Like, so if, if their tail has all the ice, because they use it when they run, they use it for balance, like jumping and, and swimming and all that. And then they come out of the water, their tail freezes. It's just so heavy. That, uh, but they can get that a lot of times when it's not frozen. weight though. on that muscle. Well, I think once it can get it from fatigue too, but it, it'd just be wet yeah. too. But I mean, if your dog is extra sensitive to it, yeah, T- Chief would only get it when his was mm. frozen. And then after that, it could, after he had it once, it seemed like it could happen easier, mm-hmm. like later on, like that muscle was just not, it was like worn out or something. But since then, he hasn't yeah. had it. I wonder if bigger dogs are more susceptible to it. Because I know Izzy was a real big female. She was mid-70s for a female. That's good size. Chief is, I wonder if the bigger the dog, the more likely they are to have that just because of the size of their tail or I don't know. Yeah. It's a painful thing. Hard painful thing for the dog for sure. Yep. So my plans for this weekend actually changed. Um, I was planning to do the Michigan Central opener, and I'm a little, I'm just slightly torn because the Central Michigan opener has historically been like my favorite hunt of the year. But then I was talking to the Iowa guys, and they're scouting birds, and they're saying it's you know that it it's looking good, and um, they're just they're a fun crew to hang out with, and I was like. Essentially, I was going in solo on the central hunt unless I, I picked up some other guys and I just hadn't called anybody. And then the Iowa guys called me and I'm like, you know what? That does sound like fun. So you going back to the same place you teal hunt, essentially? Um, no, I don't hmm. think so. Um, it just depends on what they've scouted. But I've talked to them on the phone a few times and uh, they've talked, they've looked at different places. And I don't know. The Mississippi River is like an unexplored adventure. For so me. it will so be on the Mississippi River. It's just River, going to new though. places. Um, I guess it might be on marshes that are mm. right off of it, but they do. They just have so much. I mean, they have a lot of habitat. I'm just I'm not used to that in Indiana. Um, I, we do have stuff like that in Michigan, some, but I don't know to what level. It'll be it'll be even more new stuff I haven't hunted. So <clears throat> I don't know. I'm always a fan of that, going to new places, trying new things, hunting new ways, and they're they're. Uh, fun, a uh, fun crew to hunt. So, what so. will your what will your hunt should be good. Size be like on those hunts? Um, I think it's gonna yeah. be four people. It's doable. Yeah, yeah, I definitely. We're gonna. I'm gonna have to get up there with you sometime. That place does look cool. Just new places. Oh yeah, yeah. We kind of briefly talked about um, potentially even going there for the the uh, Patreon hunt yep. giveaway when we take somebody. Um, but eventually, we kind of just decided. I mean, I really do want to get you in into michigan and see some of these cool places so um that'll be fun regardless yeah. out there in iowa what kind of ducks are they seeing are they still mostly teal or are they starting to get some bigger ducks too i think they got some big ducks mm-hmm. in there you know i think they do have a local breeding population uh of big ducks so um i haven't personally done the scouting but from what they've told me it's pretty mixed bag yeah i think right now we're holding almost i mean <clears throat> well over 80% teal, but with the cold front coming, I mean, if you look at this cold front, it, it could freeze up in the Dakotas, not, not a hard freeze, but like you could be looking at temperatures under freezing. And for this time of year, I mean, that yeah. I definitely think no, our, we'll see some big, our hunt in Iowa, breeds. the forecast right now is for opening morning to be a low right. of 29. Right. So 
you think you have that going up north yeah it has to be colder mm-hmm. you'd think maybe not i mean even that i mean that's not going to create any ice because the water temperatures are going to be too too high for it to create any ice yeah. but i mean when you're talking mostly teal that's definitely going to push down some pintails and some gadwall probably some redheads and so that's another thing about you know where i'm, I'm factoring into where i set up that it's like that little hole um, might be better for some bigger ducks that you can pull in there out of the sky than little buzzing teal all over the place. So, you know, that's another factor into yep. it. I'm, I think there'll be some big ducks around. Definitely. It's uh, it's crazy the difference, like, <laughs> in Phil I had from shooting that one mallard I did this weekend to, like, the other duck you shoot. It was just like, it's like the holy right. grail. You pick it up and you're that like, sure oh. sure is. There's something about a green-headed mallard that, Nothing else can, well, I mean, pintails and canvasbacks, but you know, it's just such an amazing, amazing bird. Oh, yeah. All righty. Well, this is probably a good place to go ahead and um, wrap this one up before I cough anymore. I've been struggling, but <laughs> we made it through the podcast. Um, Elliot, it was, it was great getting back on here and catching up. We actually did a lot of talking before the podcast, too. So, um, it was uh, it was great getting you back on here to your normal spot, Elliot. Yep, I always enjoy so, it. I appreciate appreciate everything you're doing and love being on here. Awesome, right back at you. All righty, folks, stay tuned. We got some awesome content rolling at you. I'm Jordan from Duckin Chronicles, Elliot from Freelance Duckening, and we'll see you guys on the next one.